Well, Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. God, we ask that as we open up the word of God this morning, you'd open up our hearts, even if it's just to receive that one thing from you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. This week, as my wife and I were flipping through some of the channels, we, I came across a movie I'd seen a while ago, bits and pieces of it, and I think through all the times I've seen bits and pieces of it, I've seen the whole movie now, called Walk the Line. Anybody ever see that movie? Uh, I, I remember it intrigued me because when I first became a believer, Johnny Cash was still alive. And toward the end of his life, uh, he gave all of these tribute concerts, and almost all the songs he did were gospel songs, and he gave lots of uh, uh, Christian testimony, and his wife did as well, and they, they'd sing together. And I remember thinking, you know, it's a, the music seemed a bit old-fashioned to me then, uh, but the message was great. And then I see this movie, Walk the Line, and I'm, I'm trying to put together the Johnny Cash who's like almost giving altar calls at the end of his concerts in the late 90s and early 2000s to this sort of guy in the 50s and 60s who was a drug addict and alcoholic and a bit of a bully and, and, and sort of, you know, weaseled his way into a lot of things. And, and little did I know that he struggled on and off with lots of these addictions and lots of these tendencies on and off for over 40 years and it really wasn't until about the last four years of his life that you got to saw the Johnny Cash I saw uh, which was the Johnny Cash who was dedicating all his concerts to the Lord and things like that and it really reminds me that even though we may fail in Christ no failure is final amen amen well, the biblical hero Samson is a lot like uh, our modern Johnny Cash. Last week we talked about Joseph, and Joseph's failures were really far more external. You know, Joseph had bad things happen to him. He couldn't control it. I mean, maybe he could have kept his mouth shut, but I mean, you know, he couldn't have known that the jealousy of his brothers was going to land him in a pit where they wanted to murder him, sell him into slavery, and then land him in prison. I mean, all these things were things that happened to Joseph. And maybe you have some of those where you're like, you know what? These things happened to me, wasn't my fault, and now I got to live with them. Well, then you would identify a lot with Joseph. Samson is almost the exact opposite. All of the calamity that comes on Samson's life, Samson brings on himself. And maybe there's a portion of you here this morning that can relate to that story. Joseph, he accepted his situation, and he served the slave master with all his heart. Samson rejected his situation as a slave and went off and married a Philistine woman, a woman he wasn't supposed to marry. Joseph advanced in the, mid of his, in the midst of his adversity, whereas Samuel sort of systematically regressed, eventually being overcome by the schemes of a prostitute. Joseph avoided sin at all costs, including not having sex with a rich and powerful woman, whereas Samson was kind of having sex with every girl he shouldn't have. Samson is a good story to relate to because as much as I loved preaching Joseph last Sunday, and I know for many of us, our story, we'd love to, you know, there are parts of it that may be a Joseph. I think for many of us too, there's also parts of it that are a Samson. For many of us, like Samson, we bring the failure on ourselves. The context of Samson, Samson comes to the earth after a bunch of incredible events. 
God had just rescued the Israelites out of Egypt. And so they saw some big, big miracles as that was happening. The Red Sea was parted. I mean, that's a huge miracle. You know, water comes out of rocks. Uh, a rock, I should say. That's a huge miracle. Uh, they, the Ten Commandments and all the things that God does, God's glory uh, by day and by night, they see the miraculous like almost like no other time in history. And then they finally conquer the promised land. And after they're done settling into the promised land, God gives them two warnings. He says, all right, I did all this. We did all this. I got you in here. Now there's two things I want you to remember. Number one, don't switch gods. Don't switch gods. Keep me first. Number two, after I bless you, after I give you money, after I give you houses, after I give you wives and husbands, after I give you food, after I give you Sabbaths and vacations, and all the wonderful things us humans like to have, after I give all that to you, don't forget me. Don't forget me. Don't switch gods, and don't forget me. But unfortunately, that's exactly what they did. In fact, it is within 20 years of Joshua's death that they are already being conquered by a foreign army because they had done those very things. They had prospered. They'd gotten all this money. They'd built these houses. They'd built these incredible vineyards. They built all these things, and they completely forgot that God was their source. And the worst part is they began to worship the gods of the lands of the people they had just conquered. So they switch gods and they forgot God and God's protective covering lifts off of them and what happens is a foreign army comes in and conquers them. And this becomes the cycle of judges. They get conquered, they cry out to God for help, God helps them, brings them back independent and then a few years go by and the same cycle happens over and over and over again. When things are going smoothly, all our bills are paid, all our needs are taken care of, and we have been blessed by God. Ironically, it's easier to ditch him then than when things are going rough. And we need God. It's easier to run to him. The day after Pearl Harbor, the day after 9-11, I should say the Sunday, churches were packed. Because it's easier to run to God when things are falling apart. And it's easy for to get God when things are going so well. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. So Samson is in the midst of this. They've been conquered by the Philistines. Philistines took a good look at the land and said, man, this land looks great. We want it. They've been conquered by the Philistines and now they're serving them in sort of a servitude and slavery. All two million of the Israelites are serving what amounted to be about three or 400,000 Philistines. And in the midst of that, they humble themselves and they cry out to God, and God gives them a man by the name of Samson. And Samson receives a huge calling to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. And God gives him incredible power and superhuman strength to do it. Normally, God loves to work in groups and people. But with this one rare exception, God, in wanting to show a miracle, he's going to do it through one man. And this one man is incredible indeed. He kills a lion 
with his bare hands. He took on 30 Philistine warriors in hand-to-hand combat and won. He captures 300 foxes, ties their tails together, lights their tails on fire, and begins burning all of the Philistine crops and farms. He uses a donkey bone to strike down a thousand Philistine warriors. It became very obvious that Samson was unbeatable. Samson was their Goliath. As what Goliath would be to David and the Israelites is what Samson, the only thing was the Lord was with Samson and he was unbeatable. But in addition to Samson's unusual power and great strength, he had one thing festering inside. He had a raging internal battle within him, a struggle with women. As a young man, he had lusted after a Philistine girl. There's plenty of girls in Israel. But he lusted after a Philistine girl. He wasn't supposed to marry a Philistine girl but that's what Samson wanted he probably saw her fell in love with her fantasized about her and then pretty soon he just said those words that I've heard people say I just have to have her or I have to have him so he goes to his parents his parents reluctantly knowing that this isn't the best thing but you can't stop a grown man sometimes so they arrange a wedding now it's very interesting Because at the wedding, Samson, remember, Samson is the slave marrying a Philistine woman, a free woman. So in this sort of caste system that they have here, he's lower. He's coming up to her level. Why are they allowing the marriage in the first place? When a man can beat down a thousand of your men with a donkey bone, he's a little bit more than a slave, wouldn't you think? So they he gets sort of elevated, and he and he now He knows that he's strong and he can beat them all up. Now he wants them to think he's smart. So what does he do? He makes a bet and he says a riddle. And he says, if you can't answer the riddle, you give me 30 pairs of clothes. And he's going to give them to Israelites who are struggling with clothes at the time. If if you can answer it, I'll give you 30 pairs of clothes. That was a big, big deal back then. Well, here's the interesting thing. The Philistines do not want to be mentally outdone by Samson. Okay, physically they can't take him, but mentally they don't want to be outdone by Samson. So what do they do? They go to his wife and they say, if you don't get the answer to the riddle for us, we're going to make some big problems for your family. So in a preview of what would eventually take Samson's life, look with me, and it should be up here on the screen too, at Judges chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, what Samson's wife does to him. In verse 16, says, Then Samson's wife threw herself on him, sobbing, You hate me. You don't really love me. You've given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. Now Samson says, It's a riddle. I haven't even told it to my parents. Why would I explain it to you? That's the point of a riddle. This is a bet, dear. Verse 17. She cried the whole seven days of the feast. Ah, she turned the waterworks on. And she knew 
if I just keep this going, I will beat down this strong man's heart. It says, on the seventh day, he finally told her because she continued to press him. And then she, in turn, quickly went and explained the answer of the riddle to her people. Now, a tragic thing happens. Samson's got to go out and get 30 pairs of clothes. While he goes out and gets the clothes, the father of the bride gives away his daughter to another man. You see, they don't like Samson, but Samson doesn't quite know it or he doesn't quite care. But at this point, he comes back and his wife has been married off to another man. And at this point, Samson's life begins to spiral. Why? Not because he's some great bad guy, not because he's breaking his vow to God by cutting his hair or, or, not, or drinking wine or doing any things that he had vowed not to. Samson had a little thunderstorm in his heart toward women, and now the enemy is whipping it up into a hurricane. And it's no more than two chapters later we read this. In Judges chapter 16, Samson goes on a walk, a long walk to a city named Gaza, and there he hires a prostitute. The Bible is now no longer hiding the fact that Samson has a huge internal struggle with women now that it's just coming out and saying it. He hires a prostitute in the city of Gaza. The Philistines find out that he's there, and they say, that's it. After she saps his strength and he's sleeping, we'll ambush him and we'll kill him. But Samson's a lot of things. He ain't stupid. He recognized, he knew the moment he starts walking in Philistine territory, he's never going to have a normal night's sleep. So he wakes up before they're able to do their attack. He sneaks out and he, with a superhuman strength, rips off the gates of the city. These are, you know, six-inch gates, 15 feet high. He rips them off his hinges, carries them to a mountain, and plops them there as a reminder. I have superhuman strength. Don't mess with me. So the Philistines, they realize, they realize something. Men cannot take Samson out. What are they going to need? A woman. A woman. So wait a minute. We've seen this guy cave. So now they go to a woman named Delilah. Anybody know what Delilah means? It doesn't mean delightful. It means low hanging. Low hanging. Like low hanging fruit. Uh, low hanging fruit in ancient Israel, was easy fruit to pick. Does that make sense? So Delilah, she either, whether she had a reputation or her parents were just cruel, she was known as the easy woman, right? In English, we have the phrase easy pickings, kind of something like that. She was known as an easy woman and that Samson would most likely fall for her and then they would use her to trap him. And that's exactly what she does. Delilah is tasked by the Philistine rulers to find out the secret of Samson's great strength. Three times she asks Samson, what is the secret to your great strength? And three times Samson kind of plays with her and toys with her until we get to Judges chapter 16, verses 15 to 17. And then she said to him, 
How could you say I love you? This should have been Samson's first clue, you know? When you won't confide in me, this is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. Verse 16. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. And so he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. For easy sex, Samson compromises his call from God and sells out his people. Delilah tells the Philistines after his hair is razored off, they come in, they capture him, they gouge his eyes out. Oh, just imagine that happening to you for a moment. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) They gouge his eyes out and they bind him and they lead him away and they make him the laughing stock. Everybody's mocking him and laughing him. And at this point in Samson's life, his failure seemed final. How do you recover from being blinded? How do you recover from being weakened? How do you recover from the shame of knowing you sold out your people for a one-night stand or a few-night stands? How do you recover from living in the defeat of knowing you were strong and now you're weak. How do you recover from all of these things? Samson's failure seemed very, very final. Like he would never be able to crawl out of this horrible mess that he had been brought in. But if you know the title of the series, failure isn't final. In a moment, I'm going to tell you how Samson crawled out from that failure. But before we do that, you have a discussion sheet. And I would invite you to just flip that over. And there's a little uh, guide where you can fill in some of the answers here. and Take these home and think about it, meditate on it. Because my first point is perhaps a point that Samson wishes he would have understood earlier in his life rather than at the end. But the first point is this. Our walk with God is just as important as our work for God. Our walk with God is just as important as our work for God. When I was younger, uh, it was like one of the first jobs I ever had. In in Michigan, they have all these little hunting shanties. They're really nothing more than like 10 by 10 shacks with windows. And and the hunters sit in there when it's cold and snowy. And they usually have a little pot belly stove in there. and, And they wait for game to come by and then they hunt them. Well... Uh, We had a neighbor who had a hunting shanty, and my dad had set this up, I think because he didn't want me to get in trouble, so, you know. And so he said, hey, my son and his friends, they'll go and they'll repaint your shanty for you. You got to put a glaze over it, otherwise the Michigan winters will just destroy them in a few winters. So we arrived there, and he said, okay, you got to strip it down, and then we're going to paint it. So we're working there for the better part of a day, and me and my friends, we stand back, and they're like, hey, you think it's good? I said, I think it's good. It looks good to me. And so we went and got the guy, and... Brought him back and said, we're ready to put the lacquer on. He just kind of laughed. He's like, oh, <laughs> you're not ready to put the lacquer on. 
He says, you got to chip away everything. You got to take it down to bare wood. Now, I can't remember what he was paying me, but I can tell you this. It was not enough. He gave us little more than a putty knife to have to, you know, to have to scrape off all of this old chips of whatever it was and take it down to the bare wood before we re reglazed it. But here's the thing. That was the right way to do it. I wanted to take shortcuts. I wanted to cut it short. I wanted the easy way out because I was tired of doing it. But it wasn't the right way to do it. It wasn't walking in the way that I should have been walking. And that guy knew it. Sometimes that's what we can do in life. We can sort of take a little shortcuts. The easy way out when things get hard or when things get difficult. And so I'd like you to ask yourself this morning. Is there an act of foolishness that has lifted God's blessing on your life? Is there some thought or habit or attitude or emotion that is sort of sabotaging God's blessing on your life? If you find yourself there, you have two choices. The first choice is you can curse where you're at, get mad at everybody, or you can take responsibility for it. You can blame God and everybody else, or you can admit it. You can say, God, it was me who got me here. It was my attitude that got me here. It was my heart that got me here. It was my choices that got me here. It was my actions that got me here. And the moment that you take responsibility and say, God, it was me, I did this, I am at fault and I'm sorry, please help me rebuild the ashes of my life, then right at that moment, God begins the process of rebuilding. While you're still blaming and mad at the world, you're going to be stuck in a slow spiral that goes down and down and down and down. But the moment you say, you know what? You may not even know whose fault it is. Sometimes you can say, God, I don't know how I got here. I probably did some things. Some things happened to me. This is a messy world, the mess of this world. I find myself at a place, but you know what? For my part of it and for everybody else's part of it, I pray, God, that you would help me crawl out of this hole. That you would help me crawl out of this hole. I will follow you. I will obey you. I will turn my life around. I choose you. And from that moment, God begins the process of the rebuild back into his blessing and freedom amen number two the enemy waits us out if there's been anything that always troubles me when i'm in like a pastoral care situation or i'm meeting with somebody it's when they confess a sin to me and they'll say oh but don't worry i got a handle on it oh but don't worry it's just this little thing i do oh but don't worry it's just this little vice <laughs> hit 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 ha 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 it's not too bad and they almost kind of play with it not recognizing the power of it that if it grows it could tear your whole heart down and it's often in those moments that i have to tell them one of the truths that i have learned over 20 years and that is this the devil may start with a thunderstorm but he ends with a hurricane that which we think we have so much confidence to handle now 
could be the thing that gets out of control and destroys our life tomorrow. And the enemy, he's patient. The tempter will wait us out, wait for that right opportunity, wait for that right moment, and then have all the dominoes come crashing down at once. Just, just, just a little while ago, I told somebody, I said, you know what? Even if I were to tell you, okay, it's just a little thing, no big deal. Here's the problem. One of these days, something big and catastrophic could happen in your life. Do you really want to be compromised when that happens? You don't know. And maybe it will never happen. But we just don't know. So stay as strong as you know you can. Because this world, it's not a thunderstorm. It's a hurricane. You dig? Amen. Number three. There is always a but. <laughs> the youth kids, they love when I say this kind of stuff, especially the little ones. There's always a but in God's story. And there's no difference in the story of Samson. Later on in Judges chapter 16, the Philistines, they were smart enough to get Delilah. They were smart enough to get Delilah to get the secret. They were smart enough to get this whole scheme and yet dumb enough not to realize that hair grows back. Samson's in prison, and they fail to send in a barber to make sure he stays weak. And that is the but in the story for Samson. But the hair on his head grew back again after it had been shaved. One of my favorite verses that correlates to this is Micah. One of the, he's an Old Testament prophet, Micah. In the seventh chapter of his letter, verse 8, Micah says this, Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Listen to me. While the consequences of sin are very real, God is bigger than the consequences. Amen? Say it with me. Say, while the consequences of sin are real, God is bigger, bigger than my consequences. You know why that's so encouraging? We all sin. We all sin, right? We all still struggle with it. I'm not saying we're all sinners, but we all still struggle with sin, right? We all, to our dying breath, we will all, hey, you didn't come here to see me. You came here to see that again. That reminder. We all struggle with sin and its consequences, but God is bigger than both our sin and our consequences, and no one shows that better than Samuel. My fourth point is this. It's never too late. It's never too late. In verse 28, Samson's final prayer. Samson would die minutes later. This was his final prayer. The last time Samson would talk to God as a human and not as someone in the afterlife. And he just said, Lord, 
remember me. Lord, remember me. You know what it reminds me of? The thief on the cross next to Jesus. The thief on the cross next to Jesus said, Jesus, when in the afterlife you die and go to your kingdom, would you remember me? Would you remember me? Reminds me of Joseph. And God remembered Joseph while he was in prison. Boy, when God remembers you, great things are going to happen. And I can tell you this right now. God has not forgotten any of you. In Korea, they have the same system as we do in order to get a driver's license, right? You have to take a written test, and then you have to take a driving test. Sorry, brain fart. You have to take a written test, and you have to take a driving test. There was a woman who wanted to get her driver's license. Her name was Chasasun. That's <laughs> the way I say it. Chasasun. She wanted to get her driving test, driver's license. But when she went to take the test, she failed. Not once, not twice, not ten times. Chasasun failed 949 times. On record with the Korean DMV, 949 failures. Well, after around the 900th failure, she began to be a national celebrity. Why? Because they saw this 62-year-old woman named Chasasun never quit. She never gave up. And on the 950th time, she went in, she took the test, she passed it, she passed the driver's test, and as she was coming out of the DMV, the automaker Kia, it's a Korean automaker, they provided her with a free Kia Soul. <laughs> this woman deserved it. That's what they, they put her, <laughs> they put her in a commercial, and they, and they said, this is why we make cars. <laughs> you know what? You know how I can relate to that story? There's been some things in my life I have failed 949 times. And I'm just tempted to give up. You know what? This attitude will always be in my life. This habit will always be in my life. This sin will always be in my life. This anger will always be in my life. This p- self-pity will always be in my life. This will, uh, just 949 times trying to get it, this will always be in my life. And I encourage you to remember Chasasun. Because the 950th time may be the time that God explodes on the scene and shouts in your heart, failure isn't final. Amen? This morning before we close, I would like you to ask yourself that question. What right now in my heart is merely a thunderstorm? It's a little thing. It's no big deal. You, you know, God may not actually like it, but it hasn't turned into a raging hurricane yet. It's just a thunderstorm. It has some lightning and some booming. 
but it isn't blowing apart your heart yet. I'd like you to, like you to find that. Find whatever that is. And just go ahead and repeat after me right now. Say, Lord Jesus, this thing in my heart that is just a thunderstorm, I give it to you. Help me reign in my thoughts and the battlefield of my mind to release this to you that I may be free, that I may be faithful, and that I may follow you unhindered. In Jesus' name, amen.